Hello and welcome to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. My name is Aidan Muir and I'm here with my co-host Leah Heigl and this is episode 77 where we will be talking about whether high protein diets are bad for gut health, which I don't think it's a, a super talked about topic, like it's not a massive topic, but every now and then I do see people saying that high protein diets are bad for gut health and I think hearing that as somebody who is in like the fitness space and working with a lot of people who do follow higher protein diets, there's two questions that instantly came to my mind the first time I heard anybody make reference to that is, are they? Like, are they bad for gut health? And if they are, is there anything we can do to offset that? Which would be mostly what we're covering today. First thing to get clear on is definitely the definition of like what gut health means because there's kind of two different avenues you can go down when we're talking about definition for this. Um, So what we will be talking about is the definition being like really talking about the ratio and diversity of gut bacteria. Um, So the overall kind of diversity of the gut microbiome being an indicator of overall gut health. Um, Although that's not like it's not a super clear cut thing. Like we don't really know what the gold standard gut microbiome should look like so it is it's one of those harder things to gauge but what are the, we'll talk about some studies um, later on but they really look at the overall kind of diversity and amount of different kinds of bacteria in their gut to gauge that um, but something else in regards to gut health is people will talk about gut health in relation to gastrointestinal symptoms maybe in regards to IBS and kind of linking like good gut health equals you don't have any gut symptoms. Um, I think there is a, like, there's a bit of a disconnect here because we do know things that are really good for gut health, like highly fermentable foods, um, may cause gastrointestinal distress, but are feeding good bacteria in the gut and actually contributing to good gut health. So those two things don't always go hand in hand the way you think they would. So when we're saying gut health, at least within this context, it's more around the overall quality of the gut microbiome more than anything else. So taking it a step further from what is gut health to the next obvious question of like, if we get a definition of what gut health is, how do we measure it? How do we assess it? Um, The simplest way based on that kind of definition of assessing it is looking at firstly measuring the bacteria that we have, like measuring the abundance of quote unquote good types of bacteria and also measuring bad pathogenic bacteria. Obviously that's complex because it's, clearly not that simple just being like these bacteria are good these ones are bad like there's way more nuance (laughs) to that but this is the most simple way that we can measure it being like these bacteria are associated with good health outcomes these ones are associated with bad health outcomes that's the simplest way even if it's not the most nuanced way or most accurate way really um measuring the diversity of bacteria it's it seems pretty um on average it seems like having a wider diversity of bacteria is a good thing. So that's one thing that can be measured. And then obviously simply from the IBS kind of standpoint is monitoring monitoring symptoms. Like if those are improving, that's an easy way we can kind of assess that kind of stuff. Then in terms of how do we like literally measure it, like the most common way seems to be measuring bacteria in stool samples. That seems the most common one. That is flawed in a way in that it's like, how do we know the bacteria that ends up in the stools is representative of what is in the, in the intestine? Like that it's overly simplistic because it can actually miss a lot of really useful information, but it's the easiest way. And it's the most common way from memory, even like that, um, that American gut project. That's like one of the yep. biggest studies that have ever been done. 
from memory, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they just sent in stool samples for that. Like, that would make sense. And that's how they've come back to the conclusion of like having a wider variety of plant-based foods is good. Like that's overly simplistic, but that's the most popular way yeah. people have come to that conclusion. So that's how we'd measure it. Final thing to define before we jump into this is what even is a high protein diet and how do we how do we define that generally? Is it the total amount? Is it percentage of total calories? Um, and we would say that kind of anything that is at a 25% or more of your calories coming from protein would be above that like uh, acceptable macronutrient distribution range. So that could be counted as a, a high protein diet. Um, or another way to look at it is potentially maybe more than 1.4 grams per kilo body weight per day uh, being considered a high protein diet. So that's two ways you, you can go about looking at that. Um, but we just wanted to kind of jump in and define that as well first. Yeah, I think definitions are important because it, it, I don't know, like using using carbohydrates as an example, like in research, a low carb diet is defined as less than 40% of total calories. Whereas in the real world, nobody's nobody's calling somebody having 35% of total calories come from carbs. A low carb. A, a low carb diet. Yeah. Um, and that's like the acceptable macronutrient distribution ratio kind of thing. Like this is where it gets murky because it's like, what if somebody's in a massive calorie deficit mm. and they're having 30% of calories come from protein, but it's a low total amount. Like that's why I like, I like a combination of both of those things, even though it makes it less clear, it's useful for this discussion. Totally. And what changes are reportedly like seen on a high protein diet? So the two most obvious ones that people often point to when they are saying that a high protein diet does lead to these issues is there is a decrease in bacteria that produce short chain fatty acids such as bifidobacteria. These are typically good bacteria. These short chain fatty acids are typically good things, so we don't want them decreasing. And there is often a reduction in diversity of microbiome um, or bacteria in the microbiome seen from higher protein diets, which is what we're looking at. So let's get into the meat of it. And that's really looking at two different studies. Um, so I have to say, like, research on this topic, like, there's not, like, there's not a ton there, of there's research. There's a lot to... less than I thought there'd be, like, when <laughs> I went looking. <laughs> there's not a ton, but there's kind of two key papers uh, that we're at least going to look through today. So, like, buckle in because I'm going to take a, a moment to go through these. Um, but the first one is the Korean study. So it was a study that was published in 2019 um, and they compared fecal, fecal microbiota so stool samples um, characteristics amongst three different groups. So that was bodybuilders, distance runners and a control group of just sedentary men. Um, and then they assessed the relationship between the gut microbiome um, and what they got from the stool samples and body composition, athlete type and dietary intake. Um, and what we're particularly interested in is going to be that link between dietary intake and the changes in the gut mi microbiome. Um, so amongst bodybuilders, there was a general reduction in bacteria that produced those short chain fatty acids. So that's kind of where that comes from. This is one of those that one of the studies that does highlight that pretty well. Um, and we do know that these short chains fatty acids are really beneficial for, for gut health. So seeing a reduction in those is, is a negative thing. Um, it was suggested that this was for a couple of key differences though. So 
one of the key differences was that these bodybuilders did have a higher protein intake than the other two groups and the runners and the control group. So we're looking at um, on average 236 grams of protein per day amongst the bodybuilders, 103 grams per day in the runners and 70 grams in the control group. So the bodybuilders were eating a significantly higher protein diet than the other two groups. And that's definitely kind of one of the reasons that we may see this this difference. Um, but there are also two other things that could be contributing here. So the their, the bodybuilders, their overall protein to carb ratio, so how much protein they were having in relation to carb intake was double the other group. So they were having quite a fair bit amount of protein more than carbs than the other two groups. And the ratio of those two things, like the the uh, people that did this this research and, and wrote this paper thinks that that could be quite a large, like could be playing a large role in why we're actually seeing this reduction in overall um, uh, gut health for, in this particular group. Um, and then the third, and what I think is going to be one of the more important things for sure is that whilst the bodybuilders had the highest fiber intake amongst all three different groups, it was only by a couple of grams per day. Um, it was only 19 grams per day on average. I found that wild. So like, you, you've <laughs> written a blog post on this. So I had read the numbers and I was like, yeah. every group seemed to have really, really low, low. fiber intakes, like almost like uncommonly low fiber intakes like even the bodybuilding yeah. group i was like 19 grams over i can't remember if their calorie intake i think it was over 3000 i recall the runners was quite high as well yeah it was a quite high calorie intake and like bodybuilders were looking at like 400 ish grams of carbs on average yeah and they like weren't 200. low carb yeah they, Sorry, weren't, they yeah. weren't low carb either um so yeah that was quite interesting because their their fiber intake was really low so general recommendation for fiber intake in men would be kind of 25 to 30 grams per day ideally like more around that 30 gram mark per day and these these guys were eating so much and only getting 19 grams yeah. in per day i was also imagining in my head being like where where are their carbs coming from if that's happening like is it just like just a lot rice of rice <laughs> yeah like i was thinking like are they having chicken rice and minimal ish kind of vegetables minimal like veg what i assume yeah, so like what the like these researchers kind of put forward at the end of their paper is that potentially the fact that their calorie and protein intake was so high in comparison to a very low fiber intake. So the combination of those two things is probably what is playing the biggest role in the re overall reduction in gut health rather than just the standalone high protein diet by itself. Um, so the second study we're going to go through is actually from 2014, um, and they took a group of rugby players and had a look at their protein intake and their gut microbiome diversity. Again, I'm pretty sure this was through fecal samples, stool samples as well. Um, and they found that a, um, as like protein intake in these rugby athletes increased, the gut microbiome diversity actually also increased alongside with it. So kind of showing the opposite of what you would think based on the findings from that previous study. So protein intake went up, but so did the diversity of their gut microbiome. The biggest difference between the diet of these rugby athletes as their protein intake increased and the bodybuilders in that previous um, study 
really came down to the carb intake and the fiber intake. So the rugby athletes were having a, a higher relative carb intake to their protein intake, and they were having adequate, if not more than adequate fiber intake. So there were other dietary changes happening alongside that increase in protein intake. So that kind of tells me that whilst a high protein diet with very minimal or like subpar fiber intake could be not so great for gut health, if you add in a good fiber intake and an overall good quality diet, it probably doesn't have that much of an impact. Like it's probably at least neutral. Um, if not, like there were some, like the the outcomes of that particular study, like there were people that their gut, yeah, their gut microbiome got more diverse. So there could even be, you know, a positive impact happening in the right circumstances. I also think, although that is only two studies, it is a decent summary of the research. And it mm. makes me think that if anybody is speaking with extreme confidence saying that high-protein diets do negatively affect gut health or they do not have any impact on gut health whatsoever or they improve it, so to speak, I, I feel like it's hard to speak with extreme confidence. Definitely. And looking at it through the lens of being like, based on the research that we do have what would be some appropriate recommendations if you were concerned about this? Um, and it, it is enough for me to not necessarily well, not necessarily be concerned, but it is enough for me to be like, I would take these steps that I'm about to recommend. Um, the first one is if you're eating a relatively high-protein diet, I believe you should also be consuming a relatively high-fibre diet. I think most people should al already be aiming for a relatively high-fibre diet, although there are some exceptions. But... Because a lot of the general recommendations we often hear are, like, say, 25 to 30 grams of fiber per day, I think it should also scale based on your calorie intake. Mm. And this is something that we both agree on because, like, you came to the same conclusion in your blog post as what I came to being, like, I think 12 to 15 grams of fiber per 1,000 calories is a relatively good target because that therefore means if somebody's eating 2,000 calories and they're at the top end of that range, they're at 30 grams. If they're having 3,000 they're at 45 grams, which I don't see, think is obscene. I do question the top end of that range once we start getting to like 4,000, 5,000, like something it can do. Yeah, it probably a, caps out. Particularly <laughs> because people struggle to eat a lot of food and stuff yeah. like that. But that's why I like the 12 to 15 kind of gram range because it, it, it kind of means you can scale it based on as you increase calories. So 12 to 15 grams per 1,000 calories, probably a good target. I also think that aiming for a diversity of plant-based foods is a good idea for many, many reasons. One, for the diversity of bacteria and also maybe from the perspective of managing IBS symptoms in a way in that, say, people who follow bodybuilding-style diets leading up to prep where they eat the same thing over and over and over and over, I do think one of many factors in why they get IBS symptoms often post-show is because they followed a meal plan that has just the same foods over and over and over and they haven't exposed their bacteria in their gut to upper foods for quite some time. It's a little bit speculative, but I don't think that's too far of a reach to look at it that way. And at minimum, we know from this whole diversity of bacteria, it's a good idea to be having diversity of plant-based foods as well. Yeah. So overall thoughts, like my summary, I suppose, from looking into all of this and looking at the research that we do have is that like the health effects of an increased of an increased protein intake or a high protein diet and that protein fermentation that happens in the gut, not entirely clear, but having a really high protein diet with low carb intake, low fiber, 
low plant diversity is probably harmful to the gut microbiome, probably not great for gut health. Um, so for those who are on a high protein diet, if gut health is something you are interested in looking after, get adequate fiber, like you were saying, kind of scale that up as needed. Um, maybe potentially a higher carbohydrate diet, which kind of plays into the usually carb-based foods are going to be your, your fiber-rich foods as well. And again, high plant diversity. This has been episode 77 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. As always, if you have not already, if you could please leave a rating and review, that would be massively appreciated. But apart from that, thank you for tuning in.